This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In the summer of 2006, a conservative think tank in Washington, D.C. brought an unlikely group together for a panel discussion. There were researchers and government officials. And then a whole bunch of people from Hollywood showed up all of them from the TV show 24. The Secretary of Homeland Security was there too, Michael Chertoff. And weighing that against the consequences... Chertoff praised the show and its main character, counterterrorism expert Jack Bauer. Whether it's the president in the show or Jack Bauer or the other characters, they're always trying to make the best choice with a series of bad options. Chertoff wanted Americans to take that lesson to heart, that on 24 and in real life... You have to be willing to make a decision recognizing that there is a risk of mistake. You have to do the best that you can. You have to analyze as best as you can. But at the end of the day, you have to act. Of course, on 24, when Jack Bauer acts, it means that some of the people he's interrogating get tortured, brutally. So was Chertoff saying torture is okay? as long as Jack Bauer is doing the best that he can. From the Vox Media Podcast Network and Vox.com, this is Primetime, a show about the power of television and how it affects and reflects our culture. I'm your host, Todd Vanderwerf. This season, The President is on TV, how American presidents have used TV to further their political ambitions and how TV has used the presidency in turn. Today on the show... 24 and the War on Terror. Like a lot of TV shows, 24 lifted plot lines from real life. But this show had a unique impact on its audience. 24 premiered less than two months after the September 11th terror attacks. That timing and the show's subject matter affected the way a lot of important people at the highest levels of government think about terrorism, torture, and America's role in the world. And that reignited a conversation about art's responsibility to reflect reality. Days after 9-11, President George W. Bush addressed a joint session of Congress. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. And the president declared war. Our war on terror begins with al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped, and defeated. Soon after that, 24 premiered. Part of it was a kind of catharsis. Karen Greenberg is the director of the Center on National Security at Fordham University School of Law. This was a way to tap into what Americans had felt they felt as if these kinds of things that were played out in 24 actually is what had been done to them. Greenberg studies terrorism, and she's looked at how Americans responded to 
One of the things that the Bush administration did secretly in response to the attacks of 9-11 was a program of what they called enhanced interrogation techniques, which amounted to torture. Anything from slapping to waterboarding. Over a series of memos that were written between the fall of 2001 and the summer of 2002, the Department of Justice gave what they called legal authorization for the use of these techniques against terrorism suspects. As the United States ramped up its response to terror, so did the characters on 24. We were political to the extent that we were telling geopolitical stories at a time when America had clear enemies. This is Evan Katz. He was a writer and a producer on 24. We looked at that more as a reflection of of reality than a statement of politics. So 24 saw what was going on in post-9-11 American political culture, and it reflected that back to its viewers. The show's writers and producers didn't know about the Bush-era torture programs before the general public did. But 24 had its finger on America's political pulse, and its plot lines predicted a number of real events. You can see that in a scene from season two. That's right, all the pieces are starting to come together. Jack Bauer is trying to stop an imminent nuclear threat to Los Angeles. And Jack decides the only way to stop the threat is to torture his suspect. No matter what, we're going to find this bomb. So you can either tell me now, or I can make you suffer. In this scene, our hero is desperate to find the location of the bomb. He has a suspect in custody, but the guy won't talk. I'm ready to go. I'm not afraid to die. The suspect is tied to a chair in a dark, dank room. His shirt is bloody, and he can barely hold up his head. The link's up. We have a live feed. Jack shows the suspect a live video of his two children and wife being dragged into a room and tied up. Those men will kill your family if you don't tell me where the bomb is now. Tell me where the bomb is! Fine. Do it! The show reveals at the last second that the suspect's son is alive and well. The murder was staged, but the damage is done. Under international law and definitions of torture, threatening death to family members constitutes torture. That was actually one of the things that was done to at least one that we know of, detainee uh, in custody. And yes, it constitutes torture. So this really happened. A CIA inspector general's report found that agents threatened to rape and kill suspects' family members. 24 writers and producers say they had no idea when they wrote this scene. But while the tactic used in this episode was real, the urgency in 24's depiction looked nothing like reality. When Jack Bauer does it, it's an immediate reaction to an immediate situation. I need this information right now. The problem with that is that how many ticking time bomb scenarios have we ever seen? Those are a kind of fiction. I think the show created a false sense of fear and danger that really was not appropriate to the facts. 24 used that ticking time bomb for narrative tension, for entertainment value. Each season took place over 24 hours, and every episode chronicled one hour of that day. And every so often, a literal clock appeared on screen, counting down to doom. Of course... It was fiction, but for some fans, it was more than that. 
this show became the embodiment of how its defenders of the torture program would have liked it to be seen. The late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia often referenced 24 to defend the use of torture. At a law conference in 2007, he brought up the show and asked, are you going to convict Jack Bauer? Justice Scalia wasn't alone. As we heard, the former Homeland Security Secretary compared 24 to real life. At least one high-ranking military lawyer said 24 inspired some of her team's ideas about torture. A Justice Department lawyer who helped produce the 2002 torture memos cited Jack Bauer in his book. And the show's influence eventually became a problem for the U.S. Army. In 2007, New Yorker writer Jane Mayer broke a story about a high-ranking general meeting with producers from 24. This general said that the show had a negative effect on incoming cadets, that the cadets watched the show and say, if torture is wrong, what about 24? Jack Bauer had a far-reaching influence. Even former President Bill Clinton cited him in an interview on Meet the Press in 2007. If we were the Jack Bauer person and it was six hours to a bomb or whatever, you don't know what you would do. Clinton couldn't let go of this idea of a lone patriot on a quest to save America. Ironically, if you look at the show, every time they get the president to approve something, the president gets in trouble, the country gets in trouble. And when Bauer goes out there on his own and is prepared to live with the consequences, it always seems to work better. 24 wasn't the only show to depict torture in the early 2000s. The Shield, Battlestar Galactica, Lost, the list goes on. So what was it about 24's portrayal that so captivated its audience, including lawmakers, a former president, and a Supreme Court justice? And did the show have a responsibility to depict torture in a less glorified way? More on that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Primetime. In the years following 9-11, 24 was one of the most watched shows on TV. It won a bunch of awards. And one of the reasons the show appealed to a wide audience was thanks to its racially diverse cast. 24 featured a black man in the Oval Office before Americans elected one in real life. And that president, David Palmer, was a compelling character. He was the show's moral center. The most patriotic thing that we can all do today is to keep living our lives. So I urge you all, go back to work. Go back to school. David Palmer is one of my favorite fictional presidents, always cool in a crisis. The tension and mutual respect between him and Jack drove the series' best seasons. But it wasn't just the compelling characters that made the show exciting. The camera work and storytelling were groundbreaking. Karen Greenberg again. Dramatically, it was a terrific show. I think that made a huge difference. 24 set new standards for how to bring action and suspense to TV. The hour-by-hour conceit was fresh and exciting. 
and the show used documentary-style camera work and split screens. So viewers felt like they were right there with Jack Bauer. You are gonna tell me what is happening at eight o'clock? So 24 felt immediate, both stylistically and in terms of its subject matter. Jack Bauer became a useful example for Americans who supported the war on terror. Sure, he was fictional, but he felt real. And in the wake of 9-11, the ticking time bomb scenarios he faced felt real too. You can see that in an experiment run by a pair of political scientists a few years back. They brought a big group of students together and showed them a bunch of torture scenes from 24. After watching those fictional scenes, even the most liberal students were more likely to support torturing detainees in the real world. The style and subject matter of 24 made torture seem justified. And it might have made real-life torture feel justified to audiences, too. That all changed in April of 2004, when CBS News broke a major story. The Army confiscated some 60 pictures of Iraqi prisoners being mistreated. At Abu Ghraib prison. And in many of the pictures, Americans, both men and women, are laughing, posing, pointing, or giving a thumbs up. The scenes at Abu Ghraib changed the way a lot of Americans thought about enhanced interrogation techniques. And as journalists started digging, the public learned more and more about the torture program put in place by the Bush administration. Americans serving abroad also started to speak out against it. Professor Karen Greenberg. One interrogator who had been interrogating in Iraq, I think, said, yeah, you can get some useful information, like where to find a certain suspect that we're looking for, but they don't tell you that the hideout is booby-trapped. And so what does it mean to get useful information, and is it really worth it? As the country's opinion on torture began to evolve, 24 did too. We began to try to avoid torture. Evan Katz again a writer and producer on 24. I don't think any of us wanted to be part of this larger conversation about Abu Ghraib. We don't want people to be watching the show and thinking about the politics of it. We want people to be involved in the show. In other words, 24's writers and producers wanted the audience to be swept up in the entertainment value of the show, the action, the drama, not the real-life politics outside of it. So the series eventually moved away from torture. But Jack Bauer's tactics had already captured the public's imagination. I asked Katz about 24's influence, if the show had a responsibility to stick to the facts given the time in which it aired. And he said no. The show's a fantasy. The show's about, in a way, a superhero who does things people really don't do. People do all sorts of stuff on television that it's it's not instructive for people to follow them. We expect people to understand that torturing people is not acceptable. His job, he says, is to entertain. If everybody was completely politically correct all the time and only put on good people doing good things, there'd be nothing on television. There's an old idea in cultural criticism. Depiction isn't endorsement. Tony Soprano killed lots of people over the course of The Sopranos, but that doesn't mean the show's producers endorse brutal crimes. The brutality is just part of the stories they're telling. I agree with this idea. Depiction isn't endorsement. Artists should take on dark ideas forcefully, especially if they have something to say. 
Remember that think tank discussion from the top of the show? Let me ask you, how much of the show is written with real-world events as a guide? Rush Limbaugh actually emceed that day. He's talking to the co-creator of 24, a guy named Joel Cernow. Limbaugh asked him, Is any of it what you wish the United States was doing? Cernow responded, Absolutely, it's what we wish. There is a wish-fulfillment fantasy. I mean, we try to... That's Limbaugh. He's saying, all right, all right. Me too. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the terrorists are the bad guys and we're the good guys. The terrorists are the bad guys and we're the good guys. That's the reality Joel Cernow wanted to create in 24. And in that reality, torture seemed justified. Of course, the producers of 24 didn't write the torture memos. What happened at Abu Ghraib and beyond, that's on the Bush administration. But in the wake of 9-11, we were all grappling with big questions about terrorism and justice. That showed up in the culture we created and consumed, including on 24. The show's writers couldn't have known how its stories about torture would be interpreted by the broader culture and the White House. But what should the writers have done after they realized how much those stories were resonating? On 24, Jack Bauer often suffered as a kind of karmic justice for the suffering he inflicted on others. He lost his wife, friends, lovers. But the people Jack tortured, we never saw the long-term effects on them. And that made the idea of torture easier to bear. So while 24 isn't responsible for the Bush-era torture program, it's clear, looking back, why those who were celebrated the show so completely. Given 24's fans in the Bush White House, it's surprising that the show also helped set the stage for a very different, much more liberal president. Like the West Wing, the subject of our last episode, 24 featured a fictional commander-in-chief. But unlike the West Wing, the show featured a woman president and a black president. We cannot underplay how central 24 was in getting a lot of people comfortable with even the idea of a black president. Rhonda Penrice, a freelance writer and culture critic. So when you are seeing the image of a black man as the most powerful person in the free world, it creates a familiarity. It raises a comfort level. 24 might have made it a little easier for Americans to imagine a black man in the Oval Office. It doesn't seem like the show has done the same for women, at least not yet. But when it comes to featuring women in the White House, 24 isn't alone. A number of shows have fictional women in the highest office in the land. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take the oath of office. The president of the United States. Next week on Primetime, we'll look at these TV presidents and the very real woman they're often modeled on. I accept your nomination for President of the United States. The mini fictional presidencies of Hillary Clinton. That's coming up next on Primetime. Primetime is produced by Bridget Armstrong. 
Mixing and scoring by Gautam Shrikishan. Thanks to Rebel Talk Studios and our engineer, Ernesto Hurtado. Our researcher is Michelle Delgado. Our social media manager is Lexi Shapittle. Nishat Kurwa is the executive producer of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Jillian Weinberger is the senior producer of audio at Vox. Special thanks to Eleanor Barkhorn, Allison Rocky, and Jen Trollio. I'm your host, Todd Vanderwerf. Talk to you next week. We'll be right back. 